to Empower Perspectives Podcast on Energy Central. On this show, we bring leading minds in the utility industry in to tell us what they're thinking and how they're preparing our energy system for tomorrow. Today, we're going to talk about infrastructure and specifically the management of assets found underground that transport our water, gas, and electrons. Asset management at the utility is big and serious business. We're talking about a hundred-year-old infrastructure often buried deep underground. Keeping track of what's going on across the grid is far more complex and underappreciated even for people who may work at a utility. This is why the market for talent in utility asset management is exploding. GIS technologies and related systems are high in demand and growing increasingly sophisticated. Today's guest is at the forefront of harnessing these asset management programs to improve the coordination of utility work in Ontario, Canada. But before we introduce our guest, I'd like to also bring in the producer of this podcast, Matt Chester. And I'm Jason Price of West Monroe, serving as your podcast host and Energy Central Community Ambassador, coming to you from New York City. Today, we're going underground to understand the infrastructure of a utility system. Matt, are you ready to dig in? I definitely am, Jason. We've had some guests talk about GIS before, but not so much from the underground perspective. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like from down there. Likewise. As we know, across North America and indeed across the world at large, it is common practice for utility assets to be housed underground to protect the equipment from outside forces and to preserve sight lines. But what is also unfortunately common is that the maps tracking these assets for utilities are often incorrect. And that's if such maps even exist at all in the first place. Oftentimes, utility pipes, cables, and other infrastructure will get relocated during the construction, repairs, and renovations, but the records aren't updated to reflect these new locations. What follows, predictably, is digging or drilling in the presence of unidentified, unmarked, unmapped, or even incorrectly located assets. Utilities simply cannot afford to waste excavation time and money in this way, and worse, doing so can cause expensive damage, result in utility outages, and worst of all, poses potential risks of personal injury or even death. So tracking these assets isn't just good business practice, but indeed it can be a matter of public safety. In response to these concerns, the government of Ontario launched several key initiatives to improve the identification and tracking of utility assets in an effort to improve the delivery of its priority provincial transit projects that depend on this information. Years of deliberation and multiple acts of legislation and other key initiatives finally allowed for the creation of an office to organize and manage its assets to allow for the building of a regional public transit system. Few people were as intimate of this process from beginning to where we are today than our next guest, and we are lucky enough for him to spend time with us today. But before we introduce our esteemed guest and dive deeper into this exciting topic, I'd like to thank our sponsors who make this show possible and let us bring insightful discussions from the best minds in the industry to our listeners. To West Monroe, West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric gas and water utilities and their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, and DER and cybersecurity. To ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, web GIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, 
a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Enterix, Enterix focuses on delivering transformative broadband that enables the modernization of critical infrastructure for the energy, transportation, logistics, and other sectors of our economy. And to Scott Madden. Scott Madden is a management consulting firm serving clients across the energy utility ecosystem. Areas of focus include transmission and distribution, the grid edge, generation, energy markets, rates and regulations, corporate sustainability, and corporate services. The firm helps clients develop and implement strategies, improve critical operations, reorganize departments and entire companies, and implement myriad initiatives. And now on today's guest, Gord Reynolds. Gord is currently the Vice President of Commercial Advisory and Strategy at Infrastructure Ontario, where he leads a variety of initiatives to improve utility coordination across Canada. Prior to this, Gord was the Managing Director of Capgemini's Canadian Utilities Practice and the global innovation leader for the power and utility sector. He was also a member of Capgemini's Global Sector Council and spent eight years at the global lead for Capgemini's smart energy services and digital utilities transformation initiatives for the energy, utility, and chemical sector. Right now, Gord is supporting two recently passed provincial acts to streamline the coordination of utility assets to deliver transit projects and broadband on time and within budget across Ontario. One aspect of this work is setting up a government entity, the Office of Utility Coordination, an asset management platform that will transform how utility work is conducted and tracked moving forward. There's a lot of great stuff to unpack here, so let's get started. Gord Reynolds, welcome to today's episode of Energy Central's Power Perspectives. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Gord, give us a taste of your background that made you uniquely qualified to run the office. Well, thanks for that. So look, I started the beginning of my career on the tools. And so I have a firsthand appreciation for the infrastructure that we build across Canada and across North America, how it gets built, and how difficult it is to often find it, especially in times of need. I was also very fortunate that I got to be intimately involved in the building of much of that infrastructure when technologies like directional drilling and subsurface utility engineering using vacuum excavation really started to become popular in our industry and learned how important it was for us to have good mapping and even better technology to allow us to find this infrastructure without damaging it. Fantastic. So tell us more about the provincial legislation. Can you tell us a little bit more about the acts that launched this work? Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. So the Ontario government you know, not unlike many other governments around the country, and truthfully, both nations, recognize that getting big linear infrastructure built often is made more difficult by the infrastructure that we already have in place. So whether this be highways, or whether this be public transit, or broadband, all of the infrastructure that we have in place that we rely on today also makes it more difficult for the very same infrastructure that we need to improve or new infrastructure that we need to build. And so the Ontario government sought advice from industry on how best to work with industry to get these projects built more quickly with fewer issues. And they introduced the Building Transit Faster Act. I know it's a catchy name. We're not marketers, but we're really good at building big infrastructure projects 
And this piece of legislation here in Ontario really critically deals with principally five issues that we face as an industry. Developing and controlling corridors that we build in, the ability to enter lands, to assemble lands for building, and to deal with all of the municipal services and the right-of-ways that they occupy. But the fifth provision, and the one we want to talk about today, really our focus, is the coordination with utility companies that own this infrastructure that lights and heats and allows us to communicate with each other. Great. So the coordination of utilities is a significant issue for Ontario and the projects you deliver. You mentioned scheduling costs as major implications. So what sort of impacts do you see enhanced coordination having on these factors? Our biggest impact is that we're limited in the flexibility for how we deliver innovative solutions with our existing approval processes. And the legislation allows us to work with our partners and empower them to provide us the key information that we need to identify this infrastructure and work with them to find it, to develop protective treatments for it, or to relocate it if need be in a way so that it does not become a critical path item for the project and cause delays or drive additional processes that drive up cost or complexity needlessly. All right, so but projects of this scale require a lot of coordination. So how are you bringing all these relevant parties together? And how are you ensuring compliance to new ways of working? And is there any conflict among the different stakeholder groups? So part of what we're doing that's a little bit different is that we're working as a coordination agency across literally hundreds of stakeholders in the landscape that we need to deal with. So we have municipalities, what we call upper and lower tier municipalities. So like regional governments or county governments, we have local municipalities who are closest to residents and taxpayers who want their critical services protected. We have utilities, large investor owned utilities and small municipally owned utilities. We also have telecommunications companies, and natural gas distributors. We have rail organizations and pipelines. And then of course, we have all the organizations that are responsible for conservation and the protections of lands and the protection of indigenous people and their lands. And all of these stakeholders need to be brought together and they need to all have the same information from which to make decisions. And it needs to be made available to them in a way where they can easily consume it and make good decisions. And so we've developed an approach and a platform. It's not just technology and it's not just a know-how. We've brought all of these stakeholders together as individuals who have individual responsibilities, but to work together in a coordinated fashion to help us manage all of these constraints to getting this critical infrastructure built. All right. And it's called the Office of Utility Coordination. So, I mean, for all our listeners who are south of the Canadian border, what is the equivalent office that comes close to what, uh, you, what you're running? So look, this issue is not a new one. Jason, if I think back long before you and I were around, in the 40s and the 50s, principally around California and some of the states that were growing very quickly, there was a recognition that building good highway infrastructure had its complexities. There was infrastructure that was there 
that would cause them problems. And as we moved into the 70s and then into the 80s, we recognized that there was techniques that we could bring to these projects that would allow for more effective coordination amongst the parties. Many of these methods actually became enshrined in how the federal government in the US funded projects. And today, many of those means and methods are compulsory. They come with funding. So for example, techniques like subsurface utility engineering are now mandated on many projects. But subsurface utility engineering in and of itself has its limitations. And many organizations, whether they be DOTs or whether they be utilities themselves, set up utility coordination offices or schemes to support their various projects. Now, not exactly the same as Ontario, but what Ontario and Canada has done is they've passed legislation that compels participation in this scheme because many of them are voluntary. And many of them, while they have significant benefits or perhaps penalties for falling outside of the rules, the scheme that we've developed really incents cooperation. And of course, there are backstop measures to make sure that where we have bad actors, that there's means and methods for us to ensure good performance. But what we've seen in the year and a half that we've been at this with the Office of Utility Coordination is that infrastructure owners want to do the right thing. They recognize the importance of this infrastructure on the communities that they serve. And not unlike every state in the U.S. and every utility and every DOT, people start off with the best of intentions. But often, diverging interests or the complexities of our respective organizations prevent us from coordinating effectively. And so what the OUC or the Office of Utility Coordination is unique with is that it has legislation that backstops it, but is a central coordinating agency that has dedicated resources and dedicated tools, including an electronic spatial platform that allows us to collect and share data on not just the existing infrastructure, but all the planned infrastructure that we're going to build, whether they be tunnels or overhead guideways or subway infrastructure, so that everyone gets to see exactly what's happening at the same time. It's really like one version of truth through one window. And it's this coordination method that we've found gives much more visibility to people early so that whether you're a utility company or a municipality, you understand the potential impact on your infrastructure, on your shareholders, on your stakeholders, on your communities, and that you can plan effectively to work with us to get this transit infrastructure built. Or in the case of broadband, as you mentioned at the top of the call, is that broadband is becoming, especially with the pandemic, a really critical issue. So while transit's important and roads are important, keeping everyone connected has become such a vital part of our communities these days that broadband is just as difficult to build and has as many complexities. And we're using the same approach to get our broadband program built here in Ontario as well. Do you feel that such an office is applicable in other provinces in Canada? And have you thought about your next act in life? And I understand that there's a big infrastructure bill in North America. 
Wouldn't there be some application to your skill set down south? Well, we certainly hope that what we're doing here in Ontario isn't just something that people do because they're compelled to do it because of a law. We hope, and this is what we're seeing from industry, is that there's a lot of benefits that don't just accrue to the new infrastructure builder, in this case, the government of Ontario. Those benefits are accruing to all of the infrastructure owners themselves, whether they be reduced one-call notifications or whether they be reduced strikes on their infrastructure or damages on their infrastructure, whether they be the cost that they have to incur to engineer or build either protections of their infrastructure or to relocate their infrastructure. These benefits are accruing to everyone, and people are starting to see this. So we are hearing from other geographies already that there's an interest in understanding how did we set up the Office of Utility Coordination? And how did we get this legislation implemented? And would it be applicable to my geography or my project? And to support that, we've retained the services of an independent third-party organization to help us with some research. It's a local university that has an expertise in infrastructure projects. And for a number of years, they've been looking at how effective subsurface utility engineering has been to these types of construction projects. So they've looked at the work that's been done by organizations like Purdue and others to see for every dollar spent on the front end, collecting better data sooner and sharing that data in a coordinated fashion to feed into not only the construction activities, but the planning activities and the design activities and to avoid conflicts early and to help people develop treatments or relocation schemes that reduce costs and complexity and inconvenience to the communities, but also reduce the risk of damage to the infrastructure itself. And that this research, which is both qualitative and quantitative, will allow us to support other geographies, not just in Canada. We've had inquiries from the United Kingdom and Australia, and of course the United States, where geographies are looking at the good work that they're doing to improve coordination amongst their critical stakeholders, but are interested to learn how they can improve on that. And so certainly we're eager to share those learned lessons and the work products that we've developed, because if the industry benefits from this as a whole, it isn't just about us compelling this, the industry will drive those leading practices forward themselves, and we all stand to benefit. It's a fascinating topic, Gord, no doubt. Well, Gord, now it's time for a change of pace. Our lightning round. We're going to ask you a few questions designed to let our listeners get to know you a bit more on a personal level. And your responses should be just one word or one phrase. So are you ready? I am. All right. Last book or article you read that really made you think? John Grisham, The Guardians. Name your guilty pleasure TV show or movie. Movie, To Live and Die in L.A. First purchase if you won the lottery. Oh, geez. I think it would be a new motorcycle. Yeah, that that would be it, Jason. It would be a new motorcycle. What's your dream vacation? Well, these days in Canada, we're still uh, curtailed from travel because of the pandemic. So any vacation would be a dream vacation at this point. But I'm particularly fond of Southern California, love the San Diego area, 
I think that would have to be it right now. Fantastic. And what inspires you? I'm principally inspired by the work that my colleagues do to help us improve everything that we do in the industry today. And I'm really grateful that I've been blessed with four young men who are my children, and three of them have decided to enter the trades. And they are starting to appreciate the complexity of the industry. Of course, growing up and watching their dad get involved and not really understanding as a kid, but being able to watch my colleagues and watch my children become colleagues is really what inspires me and to see how excited they get about the things that I got excited about when I started out in the trades in the utility industry. That's really exciting for me. Yeah, I'm sure it's very special too. Now that you've let us know a little bit more about you, I will let you close out the podcast with some forward-looking focus. So with all of these potential uses of enhanced asset management, what are you most excited for in the coming years? Well, we're really excited by how other geographies are using means and methods like subsurface utility engineering, improved spatial tools like Esri ArcGIS and other platforms like that that have really become very powerful and allow us to collect, consume, and reconcile a tremendous amount of data very quickly and very accurately. And through the schemes like we've been talking about here, the Office of Utility Coordination, and other geographies that have had similar successes, whether they be the United Kingdom or some of the states that have compelled organizations to come together, but have also found ways to inspire them. And as this becomes a leading practice across our industry, we can reduce the dependency on this difference that we have and get to a place where industry is not damaging infrastructure because we're not taking care. I think about all the times that we locate the same infrastructure over and over again, and we collect that infrastructure data and we use it for a purpose and we let it go. There is just literally billions of dollars spent in North America every year collecting spatial information, and we rarely use that information to improve our records or to allow us to perform better on these projects that we build for our communities. And I really get excited about the thought that we start to use this technology and we start to use these means and methods and that we really start collaborating as an industry and we're able to build this critical infrastructure whether it's highways, whether it's transit, whether it's broadband, these projects that are going to improve the quality of life for everybody, and we can do it in a way that it's faster and less expensive. I think about the cost per mile for us to build highways and transit, and how much of that is because of conflicting infrastructure, and how much of that cost is about finding that infrastructure and protecting it or moving it, and all of the data that we collect along the way and how valuable and rich that data is and whether we're really using it effectively. I get excited thinking about there is a way to do better. There is a way to improve these outcomes, to protect people and to improve communities. And that's what I think is most exciting, not just about what we're doing here in Ontario to build subways, but I see my peers around the world with similar initiatives. And I think when we come together and share what works for us and we're able to improve on it locally, that we continue to all learn and all benefit together 
And we will get to a place where we can get out of this analog age that we're principally locked in in this industry and really take advantage of the digital age as many other industries have. What's also exciting, Gord, is that we have an opportunity to speak with people like you who are boots on the ground, giving it to us in first person. So thank you so much for sharing this information with us. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but again, your insight is incredibly valuable. And I know that our listeners are going to appreciate every uh, ounce of wisdom that you've shared with us today. So we'll be watching these exciting initiatives unfold and are sure that in the coming years, we'll be hearing from other jurisdictions who have adopted some of the transformational thinking that you've shared with us. So again, thank you for joining us today. I've always wanted to say this, Jason, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.